Welcome, everyone, to Mictor Radio. I'm your host, John Tanner, and I am pleased to have with me today one of our new MICTA board members, Mr. John Windhausen. Mr. Windhausen is Executive Director for Schools, Health, and Libraries Broadband Coalition, or Shelby, and we're going to speak with him about that organization. Mr. Windhausen joins us today on Skype from Washington, D.C. Welcome to the program, Mr. Windhausen. Well, thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be with you and, and uh, everyone in MICTA. Well, we're happy to have you on our MICTA Board of Directors. And uh, could you, as we start here, could you tell us a little, our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became Executive Director of Shelby? Well, sure. Uh, just I'll give you a little uh, brief uh, background. So I'm an attorney. I started out working in Washington, D.C. about 30 years ago, working for the Federal Communications Commission, and then spent nine years on Capitol Hill working for the Senate Communications Subcommittee of the Senate Commerce Committee and helped to draft the 1996 Telecom Act. Um, and then I uh, headed up a, a trade association of competitive phone companies for a while and then started my own consulting practice uh, about 12 years ago. Uh, but about six years ago is when we decided to form the, the Shelby Coalition. And um, I was pleased to be able to help put that together. And we've had a very successful run here for the last six years and hopefully for another six to 10 years to come. Great. Well, let's talk about the Shelby Coalition. Uh, this organization was created in or around 2009 in Washington, D.C. What was the intended purpose for creating an organization like Shelby? Yeah, so it was really spawned uh, after the stimulus, the economic stimulus bill passed the Congress in 2009. Um, and as you uh, and listeners probably remember, it was quite a severe economic recession at the time, and there really needed to be a greater investment in infrastructure generally to promote jobs and get the economy on track. And one of the provisions of that stimulus bill was uh, funding for what became known as the BTOP program, the Broadband Technology Opportunities Program. It was about $7 billion in funding to be administered by NTIA within the U.S. Department of Commerce. And it specifically focused on the benefits of broadband for anchor institutions. So we got together. Uh, I had already been doing some consulting work with Educause on the higher ed front and the American Library Association. So um, we decided to ex create this coalition, starting with those two uh, organizations, but building out from there um, to support that BTOP program and to make sure that it was going to be successful. So we collaborated with uh, a, a lot of the anchor institution organizations and the private sector uh, companies and public interest groups um, we formed a mission statement uh, about the importance, you know, framed around the importance of um, open, affordable, high-capacity broadband for anchor institutions, and uh, you know, launched it as an informal coalition. So for the first roughly three and a half years, uh, we were just an informal organization uh, supporting BTOP, and we had some influence on how that program turned out. Uh, we thought it turned out very successfully in in most respects. 
Um, but we also got involved in with uh, in a variety of FCC proceedings, uh, the E-rate reform that happened in 2010 and the National Broadband Plan that was also published in 2010 and a variety of other proceedings. Um, and after about three and a half years, we decided, you know, maybe we're not a short-term organization. Maybe we're actually a long-term institution. So that's when we agreed uh, to uh, formally uh, incorporate, and we named a board of directors and bylaws and, and all of the formal apparatus and legal requirements to become an institution. So from two, 2000, late 2012, 2013 is when we really formed as a nonprofit 501c3 organization, um, and we've been growing ever since then. As I read information about your organization, I see that it is involved in a lot of different types of of activities. But one thing that that comes through to me is that uh, th- there is a plan. There is there is a purpose to what you're doing. I, I want to ask you this question: How do you see the things that you're doing in this organization? How do you see what it is that you do as an investment? in our nation's future? Uh, Well, that's a really good question, John. And let me um, answer that by providing a little bit more background, too. So as you mentioned at the start, we're the school's health and libraries broadband coalition. But our mission is not uh, solely restricted to just those three kinds of uh, anchor institutions. We really see the importance of uh, all kinds of anchor institutions. Uh, including community centers and public media, uh, public housing. So any kind of an institution that aggregates a lot of people and has a high demand, uh, but is also providing important public service to the community. And that's our constituency. And what we found when we formed the Shelby Coalition is that our message really resonated with a lot of policymakers that that too often they hear from the industry and the industry tends to divide the world between business and residential and the needs of anchor institutions for broadband capacity often gets um, uh, put aside or, or, or left out of the equation. So we took the approach that we wanted to be their voice uh, and uh, articulate a forward-looking policy that's really going to be trying to anticipate the future of these uh, technologies and embrace them rather than just holding on to the past and, and trying to preserve the existing programs. Our whole message is around trying to foster uh, new technologies and allow these anchor institutions to be part of the, the policymaking process. Uh, and we think that we've not only been successful uh, in that mission, but we also think that our message is well respected by policymakers because an awful lot of what anchor institutions do promotes economic growth, uh, and that's a key component. So, oftentimes, just to give one example, um, if you build broadband to the the anchor institutions, if you build a big uh, fiber connection or perhaps a fiber cable with multiple fiber strands to the anchor institution, then you can branch off of that and serve the surrounding business and residential community. So we found that in a number of cases with investments by state governments, uh, the VTOP program, uh, as well from the federal government side uh, and municipal programs, if you focus on the needs of the anchor institutions, that gets you a significant investment um, and that, that pays multiple dividends. 
just to give one example, the VTOP program uh, was said to generate between uh, uh, five to twenty billion dollars in additional GDP growth from those uh, federal dollars that were invested to build high-capacity broadband to the anchor institutions. So that's just one example, but we're continuing to see those benefits um, accrue even today, even though the investments were made three or four years ago, they continue to pay dividends in promoting economic growth. And as I said, the advance of new technology is really amazing. So we're really pleased that the anchor institutions are helping to foster that growth. Sure. In your mission statement, you state, ultimately, all homes and businesses should have access to affordable, high-capacity broadband. And so my question is, why why is that so important? And don't we have high-capacity uh, broadband already in this well, country? Well, unfortunately, we don't. Uh, not ubiquitous. Um, the FCC has found that uh, the the standard of broadband that people need, <clears throat> excuse me, that people need now is 25 megabits connection uh, down to the consumer. And in a lot of areas in this country, that 25 megabits connection is just not available. So, for instance, in rural areas, um, the FCC found that 39% of rural Americans don't have access to a 25 megabit connection, which is kind of the minimum that you need for the future. So that's about 23 million people who don't even have it available. Um, and then there's another segment, significant segment of people who can't afford it, even if it is available. So as a result, it's really disappointing over the last few years that the broadband adoption by residences has stabilized or maybe even declined a little bit. According to the uh, research done by the Pew Internet and Society, um, residential broadband adoption used to be at around 70 percent, and the last study that did found that it had fallen slightly to 67 percent. So there's a problem there uh, that broadband, even though we recognize that it's important, there's a real danger that our public policy in our nation is uh, at risk of creating digital haves and digital have-nots that those at the upper income scale and those in the highly populated, densely populated areas can get affordable broadband. But those in rural areas, those in high cost areas, uh, those low income areas, um, they're not able to benefit from this technological revolution with broadband. And we need to take an extra level of effort uh, to get everybody connected. And I think that's an important part of the mission of anchor institutions. So our mission is not just about connecting the schools and libraries themselves, but also using them as uh, gateways to the rest of the community. And in fact, there have been studies that show if you have a, a big broadband connection to the school or library, you're more likely to have a higher residential broadband adoption as well. So we like to think that promoting broadband to anchor institutions is not just about the buildings, but it's uh, then a benefit to the entire surrounding community. The Shelby organization also talks about the need for telemedicine and broadband connections for rural residents. Now, what need are you referring to, and what will this, uh, what will this, uh, what will the availability, I should say, of broadband connections for residents living in the more remote areas? What will that do for well, them? Well, there are some enormous uh, cost savings that could uh, be generated by promoting telemedicine to rural residential consumers. Um, and not just cost savings, but there are enormous uh, potential benefits for the quality of health care. 
So um, uh, I, there's a backdrop here that's really important. Uh, there is uh, pretty much a crisis right now in rural America when it comes to health care. Something like 70 uh, rural hospitals have closed over the last five years, and there are an under, another 200 or so rural hospitals that are financially at risk. Um, and that poses a big danger for rural America. Not only do the rural residents may have the risk of, of not being able to get quality health care for them, but oftentimes the hospital in a rural area is the largest employer. So if a rural hospital closes, it causes uh, economic distress to that entire region. We think that one of the remedies um, for the rural health uh, uh, crisis in America is providing greater telemedicine uh, capabilities. Um, so a hospital stay, for instance, might cost ten or $12,000 per night. Um, but if you can engage in a telemedicine uh, activity to uh, diagnose a patient or engage in remote patient monitoring of that, um, that person's uh, physical capabilities uh, and provide that real-time assessment back to the health clinic or back to the urban hospital through a, a high-capacity broadband connection, that person doesn't need to travel to the urban hospital. Uh, they don't need to uh, wait in line, and it saves the patient time, it saves the doctor's time, and it can be a much cheaper uh, way to deliver service and much more effectively because, you know, a lot of the costs of healthcare have to do with early treatment and being able to diagnose a patient's injury or medical condition right away can often save, often save you an awful lot of money down the road uh, after the problem becomes worse. So uh, the, the, the potential uh, benefits are, are really very significant. There's one example, for instance, that comes to mind in Pittsburgh, um, the Pittsburgh Children's Health Center started a um, pediatric uh, telemedicine program um, and uh, was able to extend the benefits of their medical services out to the rural areas around Pittsburgh uh, and ended up being quite successful financially as well as uh, a good way to improve the quality of health care being delivered to the residents of those rural areas. So we really think the, the potential there is enormous. Um, but there needs more to be, needs to be more done, especially by the FCC, to reform their Healthcare Connect Fund, in order to improve the uh, uh, the funding for these broadband networks. The Shelby organization I know has just recently, in fact, released an action plan that um, is meant to help guide policymakers at the uh, local, state, federal levels as they look to develop plans to bring their institutions high-speed connections to the internet. And you, I know here you're quoted as saying, anchor institutions are the lifeblood of our communities and access to high-speed internet at our nation's anchor institutions is the first rung on the ladder to success. Can you talk to us about this action plan? Give us a summary on, about what it says and help us understand, and you've talked about this a little bit already, but help us understand a little bit more about what you mean when you say anchor institutions and how important yeah, they sure, are. Yeah, sure, John. Thanks for the question. Um, so our action plan was just issued last month in July um, of 2016, and uh, we're quite pleased with uh, how that came out. It was a, a lot of work over the previous year. Um, 
but it's a compendium of different ideas uh, that uh, we hope are very useful to policymakers at the federal, state, and local level. Uh, what we found is that a significant number of policymakers said, look, I want to help promote broadband in my state or my region, but I don't know exactly what the steps are. What should we do? And, and help me articulate the case for why this is important. So our action plan is um, uh, consists of 11 or 12 different papers. So uh, we started out with a vision paper um, that uh, describes the benefits of broadband technology and how it can improve education, how it can improve healthcare, how it can improve civic engagement, how it can promote economic growth. And the vision paper makes the case for why investing in broadband is so critically important for America's future. And then after that vision paper, uh, we follow that with 10 different policy papers, each of which examines a particular kind of uh, policy approach. So, for instance, we have uh, papers about managing rights of way and articulating why streamlining rights of way administration can help promote broadband investment. Um, we have a chapter on broadband adoption and why building to anchor institutions can help promote residential broadband subscribership. We have a, a paper on rural America and how to promote rural broadband. Uh, we have a paper on needs assessment. Um, and actually, that's the first paper I sh perhaps should have started out with because um, the first job before you start investing in, in broadband infrastructure, you need to know what's there and what's not there and what's needed. So we encourage communities to take on that task of identifying where the broadband facilities exist, what commercial companies are there, what nonprofit companies are there, and where the gaps are. And then once you've uh, looked at those gaps, then you can identify a strategy for filling those gaps. Uh, we also have a paper on Wi-Fi and wireless and how Wi-Fi, uh, high bandwidth Wi-Fi can be a, a really important complement to mobile services and wireless services can be a significant, um, uh, significantly important. So anyway, we wrap this, uh, all of these papers up uh, with an executive summary at the front end uh, for those who don't uh, have the, the time to go through all 11 papers, the vision paper and the 10 policy papers. And the executive summary really helps to provide a, a good um, a synopsis of the three themes. So the three themes that we found that often came up as we were doing this research, first, uh, we found there are a lot of benefits from shared networks. And you can make these broadband network builds a lot more affordable and economical if you use these broadband networks for several purposes. So in other words, get out of the mindset of building silos. We don't need a separate health network and a separate school network and a separate library network. They can all ride over the same pipes. So we encourage uh, uh, that kind of collaboration uh, to promote broadband build out. So sharing was one theme. Competition was another theme. Uh, we found that um, uh, consumers benefit and anchor institutions benefit when they have competitive choices available to them and uh, competition breeds lower prices and greater investment. Uh, so we promoted policies, recommend policies that allow interconnection um, of sharing and sharing of networks, in other words, providing a wholesale pipe and then facilitating and fostering multiple retail providers of service to end users. So that was the second theme around competition. And then the third theme is the most obvious one, perhaps, around funding. 
Um, it, it's expensive to deploy these broadband networks, but we really think it's an investment that's worth it in the long run. And yes, it costs the money at the front end, but I think what we found is that investing the money to deploy these networks leads to enormous cost savings down the road because these next generation technologies and fiber networks are cheaper to operate than uh, the legacy uh, old-fashioned, if you will, telephone networks. So if you can build the fiber networks, they're cheaper to operate and they also promote economic growth. Now, be before we go to break, uh, all of the papers and the information, the uh, policy papers, the vision paper and the action plan, et cetera, all of that is available on the internet at, at, at a link, I'm sure, somewhere. Is it, is it available it sure at is. your website? Um, our website, uh, shlb.org slash action dash plan is where all of the papers are stored. And what's interesting about our website is that we've created a portal uh, and each of these uh, 10 or 11 papers has its own web page, and we're hoping to update those pages on a regular basis with new case studies and examples of how these policies are being effectively utilized. So it's our hope that this action plan is not just a document that's useful for the here and now, but also our website updates will provide an ongoing uh, support for those who are interested in promoting these ideas or looking for examples of how to do it or what's what 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 has worked and perhaps what has not worked. They can always go to our website at shelby.org action dash plan to get real time updates. Great. That's a good place to go to take your time to read this information so that you can assimilate it and think about it. It's a great opportunity to do that. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk to Mr. Windhausen some more about the uh, Schools, Health, and Libraries Broadband Coalition and hear what he has to say about what the future might hold for Shelby. Back in a moment. On our next MICTA Radio, we're talking about security plans, assessing healthcare facilities, and their vulnerability to catastrophic events. Breck Wilsusan and Lionel Harris are our experts, and they talk about some of the challenges they face when working with health organizations on their vulnerability assessment. The biggie that I hear all the time is, there's no threat here, it's not going to happen here. And we know it only takes one incident for that to change and it has happened here uh, and it probably will happen here. The second item that, I, that I've gotten out that we hear a lot is, I've got this big report, I've got this big set of findings, I don't have any money to implement most of the recommendations, what do I do? But most importantly probably is we get the excuse or you hear, you know, people will not adapt very well to these changes. They'll slow customer service down. They'll degrade time to get in and out of a facility. And you know, you always, always hear that until something happens. How can you persuade leaders that they really need to look at their plans in a serious manner and look at them now? The timing is right. The timing isn't necessary. As you just specified, events can happen and continue to happen. When I look at the alligator incident in Disney down this month, very sad event. The pain and suffering that they're about to endure possibly could have been avoided. The person in the, at the Pulse nightclub, he was casing the joint for weeks. He was going in and looking at various means that he could introduce 
his attack. So those events happen and continue to happen. You know, our society is changing. Our society has become unpredictable. It's encumbered upon our, our leaders in our hospitals, colleges, businesses, uh, and whoever might hear this presentation that planning is the key. But we've got to take this a little bit more serious because saying it won't happen here is basically out the window because it will happen here. It's just a matter of when. And the more prepared we are to address it, the better we will be at saving lives. Some organizations feel that they have a plan and it's in their training manual. What do you say to them? Okay, but how in-depth have you really tested it? Have you gotten to where somebody is pointing a weapon in to training exercise at somebody and seeing how they respond? Or have you gone through your exercises and say, I'll simulate that? Anytime you, you don't fully test somebody's examination under fire, you don't know how they respond and they aren't, unless they feel the danger, then you're not necessarily going to know how you're going to react and you're not going to be fully prepared. Well, you know, when I hear, you know, we've got a hundred page plan yeah, we've got a nice pretty cover dated this week to start reading the plan and agencies that would support you doesn't exist anymore. So really, how current is the plan? When is the last time you actually reviewed it? When is the last time you actively uh, exercised it? Just like Greg says, that's the key to success here. And you've got to train, practice, train, train, train. You can never do enough. It may not be perfect, but if you don't have any plan, you're dead in the war. Do you have a strategic plan? Have you tested it? Listen to Breck, Will Susan, and Lionel Harris talk about how you can make your workplace safer as we examine vulnerability assessment strategies for healthcare facilities on our next MICTA Radio. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Mr. John Windhausen, Executive Director of Schools, Health, Libraries, Broadband Coalition, and we're talking about high-speed connectivity and its importance for future growth. And I know, Mr. Windhausen, that, uh, that uh, the organization, the Shelby organization, has had some national conferences where uh, your, your goal is to educate people around these many issues. And I did go to the website and I saw uh, the past conference that you had in April. And I just kind of went through the topics that were at this conference. And uh, if I might uh, just list them a few, a few of them here, E-Rate and Fiber, Telehealth Networks, Connect Home Housing Initiatives, Wi-Fi and Future Learning. And I guess what impressed me about that when I was looking at these topics is that it, it just seems to me that the Shelby Coalition is is really having conversations that are much more than just about the um, bells and whistles of, of innovation and technology. You, you have a broader plan in mind, don't you? Well, we do, um, because the uh, in several ways. So uh, the National Broadband Plan articulated this goal number four, that all anchor institutions should have gigabit connectivity by the year 2020. So um, we're very much uh, in support of that goal, and we are trying as best we can to help America achieve that 
that result. Now, it's going to take even more work, and the next four years um, are going to be even more difficult than the first six years were, because you could argue that the first six years um, really attracted uh, the low-hanging fruit, and we were able to get a lot of schools and libraries connected. But there's still an awful lot more work to be done, especially in rural areas. Um, so that is a big focus going forward. And so our conference that you mentioned uh, really uh, tries to explore the whole uh, broadband ecosystem. And it's such a dynamic environment where the technologies are changing, uh, the programs are changing, and you've had a very active FCC, you've had a very active uh, Obama administration that has been launching a Connect Ed program and then a Connect Home program and then a Connect All program. Um, so we see ourselves as not just leading the charge on uh, the embrace of these technologies, but also helping schools and libraries and health providers um, uh, understand the, the dynamic at the federal level and help make these new opportunities available to them. Um, so, for instance, I'll give you one specific example that we're very excited about. Uh, two years ago, we worked very closely with the FCC as they were going through their reform of the E-rate program. And we were successful in convincing the FCC to make funding available, E-rate funding available for dark fiber and for managed wireless services. So those two services were not eligible for E-rate in the past. But we helped to convince the FCC that these were important options that schools and libraries should be able to have available to them. And now we're seeing the uh, this program rules are beginning to take shape and take effect. So a lot more schools and libraries are beginning to explore those options today. Um, and our goal is to help to foster uh, those options. Uh, we found that dark fiber, for instance, can in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, can allow schools and libraries to significantly reduce their costs. Uh, and they control their own destiny if they have their own dark fiber network. So that allows them to be able to dial up as much bandwidth as they need if they can run and operate and manage their own network. Now they have to look at lit fiber as well. Uh, we don't discriminate. We're happy that the FCC adopted a carrier neutral policy. Uh, and technology neutral policies. So, um, but we are encouraged that now schools and libraries can look at the full range of fiber options to determine what's best, what's in their best interest. And same with wireless. You don't have to go with a uh, traditional cellular company. You don't have to go with a traditional in-building Wi-Fi solution and install your own routers. That uh, routers. Uh, now you can actually hire a third-party company to manage those wireless Wi-Fi routers for you. So we have some um, things that we're looking at uh, to try to help promote these options and educate schools and libraries about how USAC is uh, uh, evaluating those applications. So we're looking at additional educational materials. What you know, you asked about our future. We're looking at some of the things that the Shelby Coalition can do this fall. Um, uh, for instance, webinars is something that we're looking at. And uh, but but our goal is to provide the information out to schools and libraries for how they can move to the future, and not be um, stuck in the past. So we think this new E-rate program changes can be really significant uh, benefit to them. Well, and I want to ask one final question, and it has to do about the future. From from your vantage point, what does the future hold for Shelby and the growth of broadband in this country with 
from a variety of perspectives, whether it's political or whether it's social change, what do you see uh, happening uh, down the road? So there's kind of a short-term and a long-term way to answer that question, John. So I'll try to see if I can answer in both ways. So um, in the short run, I mentioned our work around the E-rate program, but there's also uh, another uh, initiative which we're very excited about, which is the next president. Uh, And we don't know who that's going to be at this point, but there's a lot of talk about whoever the next president is, that there could be another round of infrastructure investment. Uh, And I think both candidates have talked about the importance of infrastructure and broadband. Um, I think we've seen a more detailed plan being announced by uh, Secretary Clinton, um, and she's issued a a speech on setting forth her high-tech agenda that includes more funding for broadband networks um, and specific reference to a whole paragraph, actually, on anchor institutions in Secretary Clinton's agenda. So we're very excited about putting together a set of proposals for the transition team um, after the election. And we're hopeful that we can have a significant impact on um, uh, her infrastructure policies in the first 100 days of the next Congress. So that's uh, something that could be beneficial uh, for many years afterwards if we can be successful in championing the importance of a broadband investment strategy for the next, uh, whoever the next president is. So that's, um, that, that's another one of our short-term objectives. Longer term, I'd say, you know, our goal is to get every anchor institution connected with that gigabit connectivity and every uh, residence connected with a high-capacity broadband connection. So we're going to continue to beat that drum. Um, and what's exciting is this this technology world, uh, seem, it, as I mentioned, is so dynamic. There are so many changes happening. Um that I see that our annual conference uh, is a really important venue to explore these changes. I'm pleased that you pulled out some of the topics that you mentioned from our conference this past April. Uh, Next year, our conference is going to be at the end of May. Uh, And so that'll give us a real great chance to look at the E-rate changes, to look at what the next president has proposed and what's on the table. Uh, And we're going to continue to, to tout our action plan uh, not just for the federal policymakers, but also for state and local policymakers. You know, one of our long-term goals is that every community should have its own broadband plan, not just a national broadband plan, not just every state, but every single locality should have their own broadband plan uh, that's um, ideally suitable for their particular geographic location or their particular broadband um, needs. So that is uh, going to be continue of a, um, the continued mission of the Shelby Coalition for the next five or 10 years. To be honest, it's hopeful that in 10 years we don't need to be here anymore, that we will have accomplished our objective and every community has embraced broadband and has the affordable, open, high-capacity broadband that they need. But we're going to continue to push the envelope and, as I said, try to embrace this technology and, and look towards the future. And there are a lot of exciting developments with 5G uh, wireless that are coming down the road that I think we don't know the full ramifications of uh, of how that's going to interact with um, uh, anchor institutions yet. But we're going to be at the forefront of these new technologies all the way along. And do you see a role for MICTA that it might play in assisting the growth of broadband in this country? Absolutely. 
that's one of the reasons I was really excited to be uh, invited to join the, the MICTA board. Um, my understanding is that MICTA has a great relationship and provides a great level of service to an awful lot of schools and libraries around the country, um, and particularly with the E-rate program. Um, and you've really made life a lot easier for schools and libraries who are looking for um, good contracts that they can use, model contracts and purchasing agreements that can make uh, streamline the process of acquiring funds. So as the E-rate program changes uh, and as these technologies change, I think the partnership between the Shelby Coalition and MICTA going forward is going to be a really great opportunity for us to be um, uh, at the forefront of these technologies and, as I said, trying to help uh, schools and libraries take advantage of them. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be part of the MICTA board. I see great things in our future. Well, thank you, and I want I want to thank you, Mr. John Windhausen, Executive Director of Schools Health, Libraries, Broadband Coalition, for being with us today. And if our listeners want to learn more about uh, the Shelby, the coalition, and the action plan, and the other papers that you talked about, tell us again where you can get that information. Sure. It's on our website at uh, shelby.org, so that's shlb.org slash action dash plan and you'll find all of the um, 11 or 12 uh, papers there you'll also find information about our uh, annual conference next year and you will find information about our transition team proposal for the next president it's not up there yet because we're putting that plan together now uh, but you'll also find an opportunity to interact with us and hopefully you'll send us your case studies or examples of success stories uh, around each of our action plan sets of ideas, and, and that could be of enormous benefit to other anchor institutions around the country. So thanks for um, giving us a chance to mention that website. It's, uh, we're very excited about uh, how it can help for the future. Well, thank you once again, Mr. Windhausen, for being with us today. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in today. And we hope you find this information helpful as you continue to keep updating yourself on current technology trends and issues. So be sure to come back again for more MICTA Radio episodes. Bye for now. This program has been presented by MICTA. MICTA, technology solutions for members nationwide.